What is the role of parents in apologetics training? Today on the show, I'm interviewing Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and she is the founder and chief mama bear of Mama Bear Apologetics, an apologetics resource specifically uh, designated towards uh, mothers and parents who are struggling with trying to um, combat the cultural lies in the world that we live in that are uh, facing their children. And so uh, this is a very unique ministry, one that I really like. And uh, I mean, just that name, Mama Bear Apologetics, is pretty cool in it. But uh, I really like the, the idea of the ministry and training parents to then train their children. Uh, because as I've said for a long time, that parents really are the main disciplers of their children. I mean, that should be obvious. Uh, but a lot of times we get that confused and we think that we can palm this off on youth ministers or children's ministers or whomever. But it really is the job of the parents. And uh, that's no different for apologetics training. And I think it's a very important ministry that uh, she's, she's heading up over there. And so I'm very excited to have her on to discuss her brand new best-selling book, Mama Bear, Apologetics, and the subtitle is Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. And so you you can kind of see the mission statement of the ministry there in the subtitle. And so I'm excited to have her on, and I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. And as always, if you want to listen to the bonus segment, uh, you can become a supporter of the show by following the Patreon link in the description and becoming a supporter. Thanks so much, guys, and enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and today I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. She is the uh, founder, creator, and mama bear in chief over at Mama Bear Apologetics, and uh, as well, she is the uh, author of the uh, brand new best-selling book, Mama Bear Apologetics, subtitle, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. Her name is Hillary Morgan Ferrer. And uh, how are you today, Hillary? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure you got a busy schedule. And so I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. Well, you're through the book now. How do you feel? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm through the, the writing and the editing process. So this is this is my first book. So I'm realizing just how much work goes into uh, not just the writing, but all the marketing afterwards and I don't know. It's a good journey. I'm enjoying it, uh, but it is definitely kind of a, a tornado. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're listening, uh, you should definitely get a copy of the book. I'll leave the link in the description as well as a link to the Mama Bear uh, Apologetics website. Uh, but uh, for those who may or may not be familiar uh, with who you are, Hillary, um, uh, if you don't mind uh, giving us a, a, an introduction of kind of who you are, what your background is, and what you do. Yeah. Uh, so I was introduced to apologetics when I was 12, and I really, really attribute that to the reasons for me staying in the faith. So a lot of times when people try to present apologetics, they, it's kind of sort of this hypothetical, look how many kids are leaving the church. If only we did this, they'd stay. But they almost present it like in a hypothetical situation. And I can say I'm one of those kids that if your kid is anything like me, which is basically asks lots of questions everywhere from my kindergarten teacher to my grad school professors literally have told my parents, wow, she asks a lot of questions. Um, so if your child is anything like me and they're going to Google, which thankfully I didn't have when I was growing up, hmm. uh, you are going to want to be teaching your kids apologetics because I, I really attribute that to I've, I've gone through 
cancer. I've gone through death of my sister. I've gone through um, childlessness. Uh, and all of that right there could have easily made me walk away from the faith. But because of the sermon series that my pastor did when I was 12 on evidences for the resurrection, uh, reliability of the New Testament, and I think the liar lord lunatic trilemma that we have, which I think nowadays we'd actually have, a, I don't know if it's like a quadrilemma, liar lord lunatic or legend, so we've got a fourth one now. Uh, that really started me down a faith journey that was not just based on feeling, that was not based on what my parents said, but was really based on, wow, this is objectively true and I can, I can study this, I can analyze it, I can look for logic and reasoning. And I remember my pastor saying over and over and over again from the pulpit, Christianity is a reasonable, rational faith. And that just stuck with me my whole life. Wow, that that's actually really impressive. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will agree with me when I say I'm very envious uh, that, um, of, of your having a pastor like that. That certainly would have helped. Uh, apologetics didn't occur to me until I was about 20 years old. Um, where, um, or 20, 21, 22, when I was in seminary, and uh, fi I just finally hit a, a brick wall where I said, it's it's either got to be like you were talking about, actually true, or I just can't go on anymore because I can't just muster up that blind faith. It's got to be based yeah. on evidence and reason. And so, wow, any pastors out there listening, you never know. I mean, you should know how impactful your words can be on the congregation, especially to a young listener. By all means, throw in there that Christianity is is uh, based on evidence and reason, that we don't just have to have blind faith. So that's actually really impressive to have a pastor like that. Yeah, he actually has a story kind of same as you know C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, J. Warner Wallace. That except for you know he didn't he didn't go and make um, you know books out of it. He pastored a church that I don't know had people then that went out and wrote books. So I, I'd say he's still doing a good job there. But uh, he, he started out an atheist, and, and he decided this Christianity thing is stupid. I need to put an end to this once and for all, even if it's just in my own mind. And that's how he became a Christian. So whenever I, I didn't realize how lucky I was growing up with the, the teaching that we had, that he, he always had kind of apologetics takeaways based on the questions that he had had back when he was an atheist. So I think he had a real a real heart for people who had those questions and who really needed to know that this was something that you could stake your life on and not just something that you had to have an emotional experience over to believe. Mm -hmm. So you actually, another curious thing that I found in, in studying and reading your bio was that you had a scientific background, is that correct? Yes, I do. I have my master's in biology from Clemson. So, well, don't you know that faith and science are opposed? How did you ever, be, <laughs> how did you ever come to that? Uh, well, I actually didn't realize that I liked science back when I was in high school. Um, I... I don't know if this sounds like I'm bragging. When I took the ACT, I remember thinking, who in the world could do this? And then I, I scored in the top 1%, and I thought, well, probably because I'm the only one that finished it, because this is doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But I think it was like the Lord was kind of dropping those hints back then that, no, you, you really are interested in science. I just didn't have very good teachers. It was kind of the embittered gym teacher that had to teach biology yeah. kind of thing. Um, but uh so when I was in college, I started out in kinesiology, uh, which was, um, I did athletic training, I worked with athletes, and I just really discovered how much I loved the science of it. Um, fast forward, I th there was some bad stuff that kind of went down there, and I ended up switching my major at the last minute to radio, television, film, and actually became a professional photographer for 10 years until, yeah, until I, I realized I really don't like the business aspect of this, and so I would pass this sign every day 
that says um, that said, uh, want to be a teacher, when can you start? And I thought, I could probably teach science. I've got enough science background. And so I started teaching science and just absolutely fell in love with yeah. it again. Just I find that in studying science, I cannot count the number of times when I was doing my master's that I would be studying and I would literally leave my textbook there on the on the ottoman where I'm studying it and I would get on my hands and knees and I would just praise God mm -hmm. for how intricate he has made the world. And so I decided that I wanted to go to a secular school because uh, while I was teaching science, I was also getting very into intelligent design and it was reading everything that uh, they had to offer there because I was in the public school system. So I had to teach what they were yeah. telling me to teach. But I would drop, I learned how to drop things that were absolutely true, but would introduce questions into someone's mind as to, hmm, could this really happen all on its own? And if anybody was listening to it, they could not accuse me of doing anything other than teaching the science. And so after studying uh, intelligent design for so long, I thought, you know what, I need to get my master's in this so I can actually kind of have legitimacy to speak about this. And I want to go to a secular school. So I chose Clemson and yeah, I, I really love my experience there. That's awesome. Well, we are going to get to the book. I haven't forgot about that, but I do want to know, I do want to hear the story of Mama Bear Apologetics in general and kind of uh, the blog, the podcast, all of that, and just kind of um, how that got started. Um, so uh, tell us the story of Mama Bear Apologetics. Well, I'd say it probably kind of started with, uh, there. I think in the introduction, I introduced a woman named Jody, And if you go to our um, our podcast, I think it's like uh, the second and third podcast that we actually tell her story and we talk with her. Uh, my husband and I were asked to be helpers at an apologetics class at my parents' church because my husband has his MDiv in apologetics and a THM and PhD in uh, philosophy of religion. So we, we just try to help out where we can. And there was a woman who stood up that was giving a story about how she had raised her children in the church. She had two boys and uh, she thought they were good. They did a wanted. They did youth group. Uh, the one of them even rededicated his life to Christ when he went to college just to make sure that, yeah, this is my faith. But then when he got his first job out of college, his boss was an atheist and said, Jesus is like Santa Claus. And for some reason, that rocked his faith to the point of where he came home and told his mom, I don't believe anymore. Mm. And she was not an academic. She was not someone who would normally... Uh, probably read a lot of nonfiction books. She was a fitness instructor. Um, I, don't, I don't know if she went to college or not. I can't remember. I, I'm not sure if I asked, but she saw her child's faith in being in danger. And so she asked him, what are your questions? And he would go back to wherever his home was. And she just starts studying like crazy to try to answer those questions. So I thought, there's something to that. This is a woman who would never do this for herself. Be, not Not because she's not smart enough and not because she's not you know, not interested, but her faith is, her faith is real to her and she doesn't need that mm -hmm. necessarily. But when she sees someone she loves who does need that, she's willing to just push everything aside and say, what can I do to help? And yeah. I thought, what is that? And I thought, that's kind of like a mama bear. And so fast forward a couple years, um, I had a, a period of time, I, I struggled with insomnia and there was some times where I just had this word mama bear going through my head over and over and over again. I just had ideas and I thought if I can just get these out on paper, maybe I can get to sleep and like maybe like a week's worth of doing that where I just sat there and wrote and wrote and wrote. And at the end of it, I was like, holy cow, I have this entire plan for a ministry that I never thought that yeah. I would have. And I thought, and this is for moms. And I asked the Lord, I was like, I'm, I'm not a mom. Are you sure you're calling the right person? Kind of 
there's, you know, several people in scripture that <laughs> have yeah. that had that experience of like, hey, God, are you sure you got the right person? And he said, no, I've got I've got the right person because you have a certain amount of free time to research that a typical mom doesn't have. And so if if helping moms to help their kids is what you do, that's the best mom that you can be. So I've embrace that role as spiritual mom. Well, I think it's a, an incredibly uh, unique and important uh, ministry that you're doing, and uh, I really love it. As soon as I saw the, I think everybody kind of has the same reaction that I do. As soon as you see the title, you're like, yes, I'm on board with that. Let's do this. <laughs> Mama Bear Apologetics. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be some overlap here, but uh, getting towards uh, getting into the book, what was kind of the the motivation for the book and kind of what were you trying to specifically address in writing the book? Um, so Harvest House actually contacted us first for a book proposal. Um, and I, I, which was really unexpected. I, I was thinking I was going to have to go knocking down doors. And so I was really blessed with that. And so I immediately knew I wanted it to be a group project because I think Mama Bear is all, is not about a single person. That's why it's not called Hillary Morgan Ferrer Ministries. It's yeah. called Mama Bear Apologetics because I, I want to bring in women who have a voice who may not have the time to, you know, run a website. Um, and so we started looking at what was currently out there. Um, first off, there's absolutely nothing out there specifically for moms. So this is like kind of a unicorn kind of book that. I've had so many people ask me, oh, what age group kids is this for? And I try to explain this isn't for kids, it's for moms. And they're like, well, but what age group? It's like the concept of even having something specifically for moms is so not done that people can't even wrap their yeah. head around it. Um, but uh, so we started looking at what was out there for parents. And of course, I'm good friends with Natasha Crane. So I, I, I was looking at her books and we knew that we wanted to do something different. We didn't want to just recreate something that someone already had. And if there was a book that I liked to to plug, kind of like Jay Warner Wallace's book, uh, Cold Case Christianity, I love telling people about that one because I think it is such a good primer. And why reinvent the wheels? So, you know, if there's always already something that I just totally am on board yeah. with, I don't want to go and rewrite that book. That's just dumb. So I <laughs> yeah, no, you're um, right. <laughs> So we wanted to see what wasn't out there. And I started thinking, you know what, people talk about the questions, but they don't talk about where these questions are com coming from. And if they do talk about where these questions are coming from, it's usually from a more academic uh, perspective. And I thought that there's not as much to, for parents or specifically there's nothing for moms that would really say, where are these questions coming from? Uh, and so, I mean, a lot of this, I honestly think was just the Lord just kind of giving me ideas. He, he was just feeding me ideas this whole way through. And so I kind of brainstormed, I wrote down a bunch of stuff and then I called up a bunch of the ladies that were already involved with mama bear. And I said, Hey, I want y'all to be involved with this. And so I, I had like three or four different ideas, um, for books that we can do. And we discussed them. And then ultimately we came down to the one that I felt strongest about, which is, basically the format of Mama Bear Apologetics. And it's looking at all the different um, isms and just bad ideas that are currently circulating in culture that undermine the faith. So when you ask, when kids are asking the question, you know, can I have faith and still be a scientist? That question's coming from somewhere. It's coming from naturalism. Mm -hmm. Or when they're asking, well, how do I know that the miracles here are true? That's not just coming from somewhere. That's coming from either a hyper skepticism, a postmodern mindset of, of truth, or sometimes an emotionalism of that doesn't feel right, therefore it can't be right. Mm -hmm. So all these chapters that we have are addressing where those questions are coming from. And if we can cut those off at the pass and give a really strong foundation to begin with, then kids are going to notice that, that that question doesn't even make sense. 
Mm-hmm. Now, it, it really is, um, whenever I served as a children's minister for a few years, it would always amaze me uh, the questions that kids would ask. Uh, sometimes they were hilarious, and sometimes they were frightening, and then sometimes it was just <laughs> kind of like, well, you have those questions too, so do I. It's like, uh, you know, especially about apologetics and stuff. Yeah, I think the one of the greatest ones, I can't remember how we came across, across this, of like asking, you know, what are what's a question that that you really really want to know and it was like does did jesus ever have head lice and <laughs> those exactly. are those questions you're like okay maybe that one's not worth really digging into yeah. but you know i like the way you're thinking <laughs> yeah exactly okay so it's it's mama bear apologetics so let's get this question out of the way is this just a mama thing or is it where's the papa bears is it <laughs> actually my husband is is looking into starting something for papa bears because i've had enough people asking yeah uh, you want, i'll have you i'll have them put you on the the facebook it's just That's like awesome. a little facebook site right now for sure um but I, ha- I have guys that are on my launch team. I even have guys that don't have kids that are on my launch team. And then I got a message from someone the other day saying, ha, ah, my friend just told me that her husband secretly bought your book, but he won't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the reason why I wrote specifically for moms is I found something out a few years ago that I, I really honestly didn't know. I've, I've always been comfortable being in a kind of guy's world. I was a daddy's girl. He and I... Uh, really bonded over questions. He always fostered that intellectual curiosity in me. And then being in the sciences, a lot, a lot of times it's it's more male heavy. So, um, and then in apologetics, you know, I, half the time I didn't notice I was the only woman in the room. Um, but I found out a couple years ago that there's a whole demographic of women who will not read stuff unless it's written by a woman. And I had no idea about that. And I think at that point, because I always thought, you know, what's this whole women in apologetics thing now, vice president of that? Yeah. Uh, like, why can't they just do regular apologetics? Why does it have to be for women? And when I realized that they're uh, this demographic, I thought, well, holy cow, who's writing for those mm-hmm. people? Like, we, we need to get this into their hands. They need this. And if they'll only read it, if it's written by a woman, sign me up. I'll sign do me. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting, and I really do think there is something to, um, and again, of course, you know, people cross over these lines. It's not, I'm not saying it has to be this way. It just tends to be that way where uh, men kind of tend more towards uh, the abstract, and so apologetics Mm -hmm. is certainly abstract with philosophy and things like that, and then, uh, you know, mamas and women and just females in general kind of tend towards uh, the nurturing and, and, and that sort of stuff. So when you tie an abstract concept like apologetics in with like mama bear, oh, this has to do with protecting my kids. Okay, now I'm all in. So I think it's just kind of a really uh, smart and I don't know if that part of it was actually intentional or not. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea. And uh, that's why, I mean, I had Lisa Quintana on. We talked about women uh, in apologetics at ministry. And I just think it's great. So. Yep. And so, uh, like, I've had a lot of men tell me, well, why isn't this written for men? And I, I've had Harvest House talk to me about maybe writing a, another book that's kind of the same information, but the guys don't feel like they have to hide it because it says Mama Bear on the front. And so, but if, if you're really secure in your manhood and you don't mind having a Mama Bear You'll on the okay. front. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. I've had plenty of guys say, wow, I, I, I want to get the men to read this. And yeah. it's, it's really timeless ideas. And I think what you were talking about with Uh, guys tending towards the abstract. One of the things that I think this book brings in that very few do is, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with personality types, but um, the N's versus the S's, the intuition versus the sensing people, which is you got the big picture people and then you have the people who really want the details. And um, I just happen to be 50-50 on that one. And so we really brought 
both of those aspects. So no matter which way you go, if you're if you're wanting really discrete steps or if you're wanting a broad overview, we actually have both in every single chapter. Yeah. So the subtitle is Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies and just kind of the mama and mama bear. Clearly, uh, this is, is um, a ministry and a book that is... Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's um, it is aiming at training parents so that or mothers specifically, so that they can then turn around and and train and empower their children. Absolutely. And so uh, one question I have, just out of curiosity, is 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 there an age where this should start, or kind of how old can a you know we think again we're talking about the abstract and things like that, mm -hmm. and then just kind of whether in your experience or whatever, uh, kind of how young can children uh, really grasp what we're talking about here? Uh, it depends. I, there's little things that they can grasp. Like I've, I've had lots of great stories from the Mama Bear launch team of things that they've done with their kids. Like uh, there was one woman on the launch team whose kids will literally yell out in the middle of a movie, bad worldview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they see something and they're, they're young. And I know Natasha Crane, she, she thought, Hey, I'm going to try to teach my kids some logical fallacies. And they were five and six years old and she would be doing something in the house and she would hear one of the kids scream bad logic from across <laughs> the room. So it's like, there's a lot of things that we don't think kids can pick up on, but they do. And so I think dropping the small things when they're young is important and it can't be too abstract. They're very, very black and white um, at the younger ages when they hit probably right around 12. I think that is a perfect time to start getting into the the deeper concepts. And I mean, that's that's how old I was when all of a sudden this started making sense to me. Um, and so I think uh, there, there's simpler things you can do for kids that are younger that are black and white. But probably by fifth grade, the, this the fifth grade is the perfect time. Fourth, fifth grade, I think, is the perfect time to start just slowly introducing more and more of these concepts. Yeah. Well, l let's go there then. So we're, we've, we've got children now that are 12 years old. Uh, how should parents or what are kind of some practical ways for parents or mothers specifically to incorporate some apologetics training um, at home and include that in their discipleship of their children? Yeah, um, I think in the book, one of the things that that I really uh, like is how every single chapter we have, uh, what are some of the specific lies that are tied to this worldview? And one of the beautiful things about our world is that we have Pinterest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have Pinterest and we have craft fairs that have all sorts of nonsense printed on them. You'll see it on t-shirts, you'll see it on necklaces, you'll see it on backpacks, you'll see it on everything. And a lot of the things that we talk about in the chapters, we give specific lies that are tied to this ism that you can start recognizing basically everywhere you go. And if you can start find, so, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah, sure. um, just follow your heart. Yeah. <laughs> How many times do you hear that? I uh, there's you know shows that I I enjoy watching you know like some the the talent shows like The Voice or So You Think You Can Dance and the number of times that the judges are like you know what I just got to follow my heart on this one yeah I mean this message is everywhere well it's in everybody's that... favorite song listen to oh. your heart <laughs> please exactly. we may have to cut that part out <laughs> <laughs> no way uh, so one of the things that you can do is you can start giving ridiculous examples of times when you should not follow your heart. And so, like, um, you know, deciding, hmm, should I go stand out in the middle of a busy intersection blindfolded? Nah, maybe I shouldn't follow my heart on that one. Yeah. Or maybe you don't want to give your kids examples of really horrible things they should do. But there's lots of examples of things uh, that they should not follow their heart on. And if you have older teens, I, I said it's always fun to 
to Google regrettable tattoos and you'll find lots of people. Yeah, that would be an easy one with teens. I mean, following (laughs) your heart. I mean, it seems the message of it, whether implied or what, really does just kind of seem to mean go with your first inclination, which is like, well, I don't know if you want to do that. But yeah. Yeah. So just kind of with the younger kids, you can take some of these messages or like one that I saw at a craft fair the other day. It said, um, all good things are wild and free. In my first instinct, and I don't know why this came to me, I don't, I don't have uh, diabetes, but I thought, mm, I don't want that to be true of my insulin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want my insulin wild and free. I want it controlled and steady. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so you can just find these messages, and when you start kind of making it a game with your kids to think of examples where this isn't true, it just kind of becomes fun that you can think of these weirder and weirder examples. And what's happening is that laughter is breaking down the defenses there's a message that's being planted in their heart that when they hear someone talking about this for real they think nah no nah, that's not true i can think of a hundred of examples where that's not true yeah well it, uh, it's um it's it's it seems to be i mean at least to be teaching just critical thinking like just just yeah. learn to step back and, and think critically mm-hmm. yeah but um, that can sometimes be a double-edged sword. So in teaching our, our kids uh, philosophy and logical fallacies and stuff like that, then they may you know, spot, um, I want to word this correctly, but a Christian who is not so um, familiar with that way of thinking, and then now they're thinking, well, maybe Christianity is that way. So is that always a fear? Um, I don't think it should be a fear. I think this actually can be turned into a bonus in the sense of, I think we as Christians, like my husband is an atheist magnet. Like I cannot tell you, we can go to a church picnic and he will sit next to the one agnostic out of the hundred people that are there that just decided to go to a church picnic that day. Um, Almost every one of those stories that we've heard comes from someone who was in Christianity who basically heard bad logic and nobody refuted it. Mm And since nobody refuted it, they just went on to think there there's nothing here. So I think teaching our kids, hey, even Christians do this. And not only can we lovingly spot this uh, in something, because I think I talk about in, in the chapter, uh, chapter three on the discerning mama bear, chew and spit, that there is absolutely no message out there that we do not need to critically evaluate. And that includes messages coming from pastors mm-hmm. um, because if you think that whatever a pastor says is true I mean good grief I yeah. can't imagine the number of churches you can go to and swallow things you should not be swallowing yeah. uh, as truth um, but it, it, it will also teach them you always need to be sifting through what you're hearing Christian or non-Christian a lot of times people think they can turn their brain off as soon as someone says I believe in Jesus yeah. and that's not the case yeah. um, but it will also that that's going to be a unique way that they can impact their peers that a lot of their peers who maybe would go on to be uh, atheists because they never hear a rebuttal will have someone of course we need to teach them how to do this graciously um, to point out to be self-critical if there's uh, just self-critical about Christianity in general not Christianity but uh, things that are going on in the church if we've learned nothing right now from the Me Too movement it's that the church has not been policing itself the way it should have been it has not been self-critical enough it has been um, trying to protect reputations and trying to protect ministries instead of calling out when something's wrong and so if your kids learn critical thinking, they're not just going to see that in the world. They're going to see it in Christian circles, and they can actually be a force that can counteract that, that can impact someone more than than any number of you know testimonies ever could. Yeah. 
so there's a number of issues that are addressed in the book from uh, a multitude of uh, different contributors and authors. Um, but I was hoping maybe uh, you could kind of highlight what you think might be is uh, either your you know your favorite issue to address, or maybe the the issue that you think is um, um, most relevant or threatening. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'll put that question to you: Which one would you address? So I would say there's there's two chapters that to me are my my two like if you only read two chapters, read yeah. these two chapters. Uh, the first one is linguistic theft. Okay. And that is talking about how words are being co-opted. Uh, the, the world is taking Christian ideas, Christian ideals, and Christian words, taking them, changing the definition, and then putting them back on Christians and saying, well, you believe in love. God said love, so why aren't you loving? Because love means this. And then they give some other definition of love. Yeah. And if you have a child that doesn't understand, hey, they just took the definition and changed it, they're going to be going, holy cow, yeah, God said I'm supposed to love, but this is how they say I'm supposed to love. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, the word that I've heard coming from this, this chapter, I've heard from so many people saying this chapter is the one that really opened their eyes. It's empowering in the sense that it takes something that people have already noticed, but they didn't have words for, yeah. uh, that they see going on. And I think that right there, um, is a very important chapter. And I think the second chapter that I would say that is kind of my pet chapter that I say, you have to read this chapter, yeah. uh, is the chapter on emotionalism. Because I think that is so rampant. And of course, all the chapters leading up to it actually help explain it. But that's kind of like almost the, the pinnacle of almost all the chapters that mm -hmm. are going on uh, where we need to listen to our feelings and our feelings are telling us truth. And um, I, it wasn't until after I'd actually finished, finished the book that I started looking at all the different ways this impacts beyond just Christian faith. If we look at uh, problems that are going on in society, let's say anorexia or eating disorders, what we're what what kids are literally being taught is that it, the what you're feeling is an indicator of truth. So if you have someone who's anorexic and they feel overweight even when they're 90 pounds and 5'11", mm -hmm. the message that what you feel is true that we we can't counteract that. When you have someone who has depression who says, I feel worthless. If we are putting feelings as our arbiter of truth, we can't counteract that. And then take, take it to all, basically all, everything in, in Christianity right now. Uh, if, if you decide what's true based on how you feel, oh my gosh, the world is so full of emotion-laden messages trying to convince people from an emotional perspective of one, one thing or another. There, we are so, we have an epidemic lacking in logical argumentation mm. that people don't even notice it anymore oh man no uh that'd be a whole nother that yeah we could talk about that for a whole episode about just the lack <laughs> and i don't mean to sound arrogant i just mean once if you've ever studied you know just what it takes to make a valid argument and you, you and then you start listening to the news cycle eventually you do what i do and you go i can't listen to that anymore my head's going to explode i just can't mm -hmm. um but the emotional thing just baffles me uh, as well because you don't have to go further than the first three chapters of the bible to see that uh, uh listening to your heart or following <laughs> your uh, uh, you know, your first inclination, your first desire that you feel or a desire that somebody else tells you is good um, rather than what God says is obviously going to land us in a whole world of trouble. It's literally how we got here in the first place. So yeah, it is how we got here. <laughs> so yeah, I can definitely see how that would be a major one. 
a uh, couple more questions for you. I do. Um, this wasn't in your list of questions, so sorry if I'm throwing you a curveball. No worries. But I do always love to ask uh, other uh, or apologists that come on. Do you have a favorite argument? Well, let's get to the. We've we've talked about the practical. Let's get to that abstract we talked about just for a second. Do you have a favorite argument as an apologist for the existence of God? Oh. Um. Maybe you can yeah. maybe you can give us some science as a scientist, or if you already had it, some. It would go. definitely be in science, and it's basically um, I don't hear as many people talking about this, and that's basically the argument for probabilities. Okay. And uh, and I'm not talking about the I'm not talking about base theorem kind of stuff. I'm talking about uh, the probabilities of proteins. I'd say proteins were one of the first things I fell in love with uh, when it came to science. Is seeing how it's like because people think protein they just think meat they don't realize i mean every single enzyme in your body is is a protein mm -hmm. um uh, every single cell has multiple different protein structures and you know from uh just a lot of the the macromolecules and the way that you have to build the protein with these amino acids coming together and the the transfer rna coming together to actually put the amino acids in the right order you start looking at the probabilities of that and then you compound that with the fact that now we have to evolve this to build structures that are thousands of amino acids long. And it just starts boggling the mind of, uh, if you were to start adding all the probabilities up, actually I did this for one of them. So there's this, um, I have a talk that I did, I'm trying to remember, I think it was challenges to neo-Darwinism that I did, that I decided to take one of the proteins that is really ubiquitous in, in most cells, which is kinesin. So you have this thing, it's, it's, it's adorable when you see uh, an anim animation, it just looks like a little dude kind of walking on a tightrope, but um, uh -huh. I, I won't go into all of it, but it's carrying <laughs> a big macromolecule from one place to another. And I, I thought, okay, that one's basically, you have to have that in almost every cell because you have to have a way to transport things. Uh, how many amino acids long is that? And it was something like, um, I don't know, like 5,100. And so I started looking at the probabilities and literally every calculation that I did, no matter what the calculator was, gave me the infinity sign. Yeah. So it basically you have one out of infinity and this is with one protein that is ubiquitous to most all cells. And so, uh, golly, in my biology classes, the number of things, actually not even just biology, if you start looking at the creation of the universe, the probabilities for everything and everything having to happen in order, yeah. if, if just the kinesin is one out of infinity, then you add in all the other variables and this is just like, how 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 are there so many atheists in biology i don't understand so that would probably be my favorite one because i like the details <laughs> yeah no i mean I've, I've listened to uh i think you were kind of touching on the same thing the or i've read the articles and the book that uh, dr douglas axe wrote uh on the uh folding of the proteins i'm i'm not the scientist but i have <laughs> read his work on that and, Doug uh, Axe is great for all that. I love him. Yeah, I've been trying to get him to come on. So, I don't, you know, Doug Axe, if you're listening, please respond <laughs> to my emails. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, that's a that's a, a baffling um, argument, the, the probabilities. I think he actually showed conclusively, as far as I know, that's really why I want to have him on, conclusively, that it, to, given the amount of time that the Earth has been here, there has not been enough time uh, for this to, to happen uh, randomly. And, um, and random mutation is what at, is at the bottom of the Darwinian mechanism so yes it is definitely random i know some people try to dispute that but uh anyway so yeah that's definitely an interesting um stuff there 
Now, I've I read some of the reviews for the book before buying it, and, and, and now I've read some of the book. I haven't finished it yet, but I read uh, uh, Jay Warner Wallace's endorsement, and I really liked what he said there, which was that uh, parents are the most important apologists our kids will ever know. And uh, that's it's pretty similar to what I used to always say. I mean, I still say it now, but I said it more whenever I was a children's and uh, youth pastor, and, uh, and especially whenever the lead pastor was brave enough to uh, give me the microphone to preach on Sundays when he was going to be out. And I would usually go to a passage like Deuteronomy 6 or something like that and talk about how parents you guys are the real youth pastors you're the real children's ministers yep and i think it i think he's correct in saying they're the real or the most important apologist as well so maybe you could touch on uh, why that is the case yeah and i think that's why i really uh targeted moms for this book especially because a lot of times moms are the ones that have more contact with the children especially in the younger years and so I thought, if moms are the ones getting the questions, moms should be the ones answering the questions. We don't need, it's like, I think having youth apologetics books are great, but if you could have mom explaining it to them instead of a book, that's even better. Yeah. Um, and so I, you look at the book, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who wrote it, but it's called Families and Faith. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at the impact of parents on their children's faith and just the correlation that you have there. Uh, it, it is without a doubt that parents are going to be the most impactful, whether or not they realize it or not. And that's going to be not just from what the parents actively teach, but it's going to be from what the parents actively display and model. And if the, the parents are modeling, a, oh, don't ask questions, just have faith, then their p- kids are going to pick up on, oh, I guess Christianity can be stumped by an eight-year-old. And they're going to keep that belief with them until they become 20-something and they either have something traumatic happen or they have a sin they don't want to give up. And then all of a sudden, all the questions they had, they pull out of their back pocket and they say, okay, this is the reason I don't believe. Uh, And at that point, you've lost the ability to speak uh, because you weren't answering the questions as they came up. So I think parents that model that that, uh, studying this, that this is important, I think of... uh, earlier in the the Jewish tradition, how how much study went into uh, learning the Bible. And it was an actual, you know, I think my husband uh, worked at a Christian high school and he had parents writing because he was teaching the Bible class like an actual class and not like a blow off class. Because yeah. a lot of times in Christian schools, Bible is like the blow off class that you just have to have a good heart and you'll get an A. Um, and if, if that's how we're teaching our kids that we should be looking at the Bible, if we're not showing that this is a priority in our life, then they're not going to make it a priority in their life. Yeah, and sure. so that is something that they will see modeled for them or not see modeled for them. And in that sense, parents are the absolute most important apologists you can have. And I know that my dad was the one who encouraged me in all my questions. And I think that's one of the things that bonded him and I is that we we think alike and we have these questions and we want to talk about it and we still do. I talk to my dad multiple times a week just when I I mean I was just on the phone with him for an hour today talking about egalitarianism versus complementarianism. Um and you know he's still he's still one of the ones, you know, yay, I've got my dad and my husband. Um but if I hadn't had that, if I had had someone who just kind of blew off my questions, who knows where I would be. Yep. Um can't stress it enough, parents, you're definitely the number one disciplers and the apologists in your kids' lives. Uh, Hillary, thanks so much for doing this. Before we get to the bonus segment, of course, if you're listening, stick around for the bonus segment. i got one more question for you, and that is what uh, uh, would you say to uh, any any moms out there listening who are like, yeah, you know, I, I see these things happening in the culture and stuff, 
and you know I just I just don't know what to think about them or I really don't have enough time to dedicate myself to study these things or whatever um, it might be I'm sure you've heard it all already so what would kind of uh, you say to them as a word of encouragement or instruct instruction on how to go about that mm-hmm. what what, uh, what would you say to any moms listening out there well, first off, I would say get the Mama Bear Apologetics book and turn to chapter 16, because what we have in chapter 16 is uh, a word of encouragement from every single one of the authors um, about how to take this information, what to do with this information. Um, secondly, I have had women tell who have either read a ton of apologetics books say, wow, this is the most understandable one I've read, or I've had 70-year-old women who've never read an apologetics book say, wow, I can understand this. I didn't think I'd be able to understand this. I think sometimes uh, mom's minds are just taken in so many different directions that um, they don't they don't think that, oh, well, th- that they're going to be able to follow it or that it's just going to be too academic. This book was purposely written not towards academics, although there's enough in there that academics are still saying this is very, there's a, there's a beautiful simplicity to really paring something down to its basic uh, just its basic questions, but um, I would say don't be intimidated. And I think if if you can go through this book, you're going to realize there is something I can do. I can understand this. I can do apologetics. And um, the reception I've had from this is so amazing in the sense that I don't feel like people are saying um, the authors are just so amazing but they're saying, wow, I can do this. It's instead of focusing on the book and instead of focusing on the people in the book, they're suddenly being able to focus on, I can do this. And I think when they start realizing I can do this, I can glorify God with my mind, that puts the relationship and that puts the emphasis where it should be, which is back on God. And um, so, yeah, my encouragement would be get this book. If you think that you can't do apologetics, you can. You need to start somewhere. And I think this is a great place to start. Well, moms, you heard it here first. Get a copy. We'll leave a link in the description below. Read through it. Be encouraged. And, uh, of course, go to the website. I'll also leave a link uh, in the description uh, there for that as well. And uh, you'll get a whole lot of resources over there at the website and at the blog and hear from uh, a number of different uh, contributors and authors on on uh, the different uh, you know arguments and things like that, but also just practical advice on how to go about this with your kids. Um, and, again, you, you are the number one discipler and apologist in your, your kid's life. So I think this is definitely worth your time, and I agree. You can do this. It's, it's not... Uh, too academic or too, uh, you know, whatever uh, the case may be. But uh, Hillary, thanks so much for coming on and do this. Um, if you're listening and you want uh, to listen to the or watch the bonus segment, stick around. Follow the link in the description below and become a supporter, and you can watch that over there. Again, Hillary, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate you taking the uh, time out of your day. No problem. I love doing this. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave us a review. And of course, if you want to watch the bonus segment, uh, become a supporter by following the Patreon link in the description and uh, uh, lending your support in that way. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time.